You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 196 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. And returning from a week off, it is Andy. Welcome back, Andy. Good evening, chaps. Feels like I'm a guest again. <laughs> you hardly ever here. You're a part-timer now, Andy. I'm a part-timer. That's all right. You, you, you're, you're a slavery to, slave to your work, Andy. But I hope it's at least um, giving you some funds to spend on the Warhams. Oh, yes, definitely. Every time I think about it, I think of Jay, because Jay always says that when he's been off for a week working. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Jay's absent because we can't seem to do a podcast with a full team anymore. Um, Jay is unfortunately stuck after hours at work, so uh, hopefully he'll be back again next week to add an element of Imperial Fists and Elves to our normal hobby chatter. Um, so this week we've got something quite exciting in our midst. Um, and Matt, you've been absolutely enjoying uh, painting the contents of this box because we've got... The Heart of Gur. Heart of Gur, yeah. The new Warcry, um, I want to say starter box. It isn't really a starter box. It's it's the first chapter of a new year-long Warcry story. We'll be talking about that in a bit. Excellent. So Matt's going to be taking us through that. Uh, we are also going to be talking about our top three models we are most proud of. So these don't necessarily need to be painted they're just models that were really really like you look at it and go oh, i'm really chuffed with that um so we're we're going to be talking about our top threes later on we'll also be reading out some of the community top three picks as well of which we've had quite a few entries so thank you everybody for your contributions uh, and of course we've got all of the latest news from this week including some more news on those little space dwarfs that come into warhammer 40k in the nearest future I guess I can't be too far along now. Yeah, I think Warcom said uh, just just after summer. So, uh, yeah, in the next couple of months, I'd guess. Excellent. But before we get stuck into all of that, let's talk about what we've been doing in the hobby for the past week. Um, and seeing as you've not been here for a week, Andy, <laughs> let's pick on you first. What have you been up to since we last spoke to you? Um, so first off, I just want to say Imperial Fists are rubbish, Jay. <laughs> I listened to uh, listen back to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I think Jay took the mickey out of uh, Iron Warriors, so I'm just returning the favour. I um, actually don't remember a podcast where Jay hasn't taken the mickey out of the Iron Warriors. Exactly, so I have to get my comeback when he's not here, you know. Um, so what have I been up to? Um, I finished building um, and priming my Necromunda gang, the Palanite Enforcers, squad BB4L. Um and the ridge runner that goes along with that that's prime. Yeah, I only just got that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I've I've had some proper fun uh, naming all the the squad mates and stuff like that. But yeah, so they're they're all built and primed. Um, I'm just waiting sort of uh, waiting for the motivation to get them painted because now they're built and primed, I, I can use them and and start playing some games with them now. Um, I've also built and primed a 40k kill team as well. 
Um, I've gone for the Chaos Legionnaires because I nice. love I love me some Chaos Space Marines. And I'll tell you what, these are the first Chaos Space Marines I've built in about 14, 15 years. They've come a long um, way. I, 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 uh, they've, they've had a few kits over the years, haven't they? I think I've built every variation. And the, the, the new kit's nice. But when you add in that Kill Team Sprue as well, it opens up so many cool options, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, next level. I mean, I'm looking at the Butcher from the... the for, of a kill team and he is just like incredible like 10 years ago 15 years ago when i was building chaos space wings you know you compare him to you know those chaos space wings back then and he, he feels like a chaos lord you know he's so cool um so yeah so i built a, a kill team prime the black i'm gonna go for black legion because that kind of fits with my um chaos knights that i painted up um a couple of months ago um I tell you what, though, the heavy gunner with that Reaper chain cannon. Oh, my days. That that tested me. That really tested <laughs> me. Because when you glue part of it together, you have to sort of glue the other part in, then another part in, just to make sure that the the parts all fit. But, it, yeah, it, it, was, it was annoying. I'm not going to lie. It was annoying. Um, so I've got all them built and primed. And... Um, then I went into our local hobby store, a place called Hobbycraft, and I bought some green, um, it's called green tufts, actually. And it's kind of stuff like that you use for bushes and stuff on like model railways and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, and I've just been adding that to quite a large amount of the uh, bases that I've got um, for other projects. Like I've, I've added them to my Chaos Knights just to, spruce up the bases and add a bit more I've done it to my sons of air mat done it to Kragnos, that sort of stuff um and yeah just just trying to get my basing to that level that i'm happy with because it's always been one part of sort of a hobby that i've never quite been happy with how i've done it is the basing so yeah i've just been trying that out um and then the last thing i've done i can't actually talk about it's all very secretive Ooh, we've all had a bit of that this last couple of weeks. Mysterious, hasn't it? Uh, really mysterious projects. Oh, and I also built the K Knight Shadow Stalkers for Warcry as well. Oh, that's a good link to the main section, isn't it? It is a good link because uh, me and Matt, we we were able to get a ticket for the Warcry event in November, is it? We were. So this this didn't even make the news because I don't think there's any tickets left for anything. <laughs> but one of the events that went up uh, yesterday is a one-day Warcry event. Four games of Warcry every single day and lunch. We couldn't say no to that, could we, Andy? So uh, I don't know what gang I'm using. I don't know what warband. I'm I'm, I'm spoiled for choice. Um, something chaotic, no doubt. Yeah, I've got the Knight Shadow Stalkers, but I am half tempted to take something ogre So yeah, do ogres, do ogres. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if the temptation hits me. Excellent, 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 excellent. Um, I'll go up next. Um, so for like the third week running or something, I've got my secret project, which is very nearly done. Um, I'm doing actually a tiny bit on them now, uh, which I can talk about soon. Um, on a more completed note, though, I have finished my screaming bell. Uh, so that is now completely done. Um, the base is uh, done as well. I just need to glue the actual wheel, uh, the actual bell itself to the, the base, and then that's completed. Really enjoyed painting it. I have 
it does feel like I've been painting it for a very long time, but I'm uh, really pleased with how it's turned out. And I can now churn out some uh, clan rats and storm vermin. It's looking so. cool. I feel that was a big, like, roadblock, maybe, the big impressive centerpiece model. And now that's out of the way. The floodgates are open. Yeah, I can absolutely crack out some rats now. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to get 20 storm vermin done. Um, and then I might do something slightly bigger. Again, I might finish the storm fiends, then another 20 clan rats, and then I'll probably do a warp lightning cannon. So there's, nice. there's still quite a bit to do, but I'm I'm confident it'll be done in plenty of time for our Path to Glory event that we're attending at Warhammer World in October. Oh, I'm so excited about that. Have, <laughs> you, ha, have you named the uh, Gracer yet? I've got it. Um, I don't. I can't actually pronounce my own name. Sk- it's Skitterisk Warp Eye. And the reason it's called Warp Eye is, I don't know if any, either of you have ever noticed, but the Gracier on foot has like a warp stone in his eye, yeah. in one of his eyes. So what I've done is, because he's, for my first, let's explain. So during the Path to Glory event, we're going to, the garage is going to build up in points values, the, the size of the games. So for the first game, I'm going to have him on foot. So I'll be using the on foot model. And then he's going to gain some glory and get mounted on his screaming bell. So I wanted the grace here on the screaming bell to also have that same eye as well. So I painted that green. So it looks like he's got that warp stone still. So that was my inspiration for the name. Um, and I, can't, I cannot wait to try these guys out in the battle. Really, really excited. Um, so that's that's now completed. Um, the only other thing I've started to do this week, although I've only built two of them, um, is I really fancied building something um, the other day. So I've started building some uh, infiltrators, but not just any old Space Marine infiltrators. Oh, no. These are from the Death Watch. So, um, yeah, they they were they're quite a fun build. The, the, with the kill, to, uh, kill team... Um, upgrade kits as well um so uh, yeah they should be really cool so i too you could say uh andy i've started to do a, a kill team uh force um although they're probably going to end up being from much larger uh death watch army um post skaven um so yeah i think that rounds out what i've been doing in the hobby this week uh which leaves you matt what are, what have you been up to so I have been working on all sorts of fun stuff. Firstly, the Leviathan Siege Dreadnought is complete. I I had a fit of madness and painted this thing white and blue. Not not Sons of Horus, not Emperor's Children. It was uh yeah a a World Eaters Leviathan Siege Dread. Um and you know what I'm really happy that I did because I'm really happy with how the scheme turned out. I was um, kind of torn. A lot of people splatter their um, leviathans with a lot of blood and stuff. And mm. I thought about, oh, there's a little bit of feedback coming through. I don't know if someone's mic's a bit close to the no. headphones or something, maybe. No, I was not trying. No, no, I can't okay. anything. I will continue then. So, yeah, I decided to go um, World Eaters, and uh, I'm really glad I did. A lot, a lot of people kind of splatter the Leviathan with blood, and I nearly did that. But I decided to go a different route, and uh, basically sprayed it black, sprayed it white, uh, painted the sharpest edges with Instar Pure White, I think it's called. Um, and then basically went round the recesses with Agrax Earthshade Classic, um, recess washed <laughs> all that. I did some sponging on the edges with Rhinox hide, I think I used, and then used the same colour 
to paint some chips and cracks and cuts and stuff into it. And yeah, it was dead quick to do. Uh, I'm really happy with how it turned out. So my next like um, her- heresy force, well, marine heresy force, let's say, because there's lots of heresy forces I've got planned in my head. <laughs> my next marine heresy force is going to be World Eaters. There's a right of war they've got where um, they get predators as a fast attack choice. So that frees up my heavy slots for a load of leviathan smashing things now there is a downside i call it a downside if anything is within 12 inches it has to declare a charge but you know mm-hmm. that's going to happen anyway and i think the entire force gets like a plus three inch charge bonus or something so nice. yeah it, that'll be pretty fun so I wanna, i'm going to paint them up there's i want to work with demons first but they'll be next for the heresy um and then yeah i've been painting the um the war cry heart of Gerbox. The scenery is very, very nearly completed. Um, there's some like vines that hold together all the bamboo bridges and platforms. Need to paint them and finish the bases, and then the scenery is all done. Wanted to get that done first because a lot of the other content creators have been working on the warbands and haven't really seen any of the the scenery painted up. So I wanted to focus on that first. And I've also built the two uh, warbands, the uh, Horns of Hashut and the Rotmire Creed. They're so cool, and I'm really excited for painting them as well. Um, so once I've done the scenery, I think I'll start work on them. Uh, we'll talk about this in more detail later on in the show. Um, I also have been plotting out some lore and doing some concept sketches for my Path to Glory uh, general. So as Dave said, that they're leveling up, and you, know, you can use a... Age of Sigma model and use the rules within that battle tome for giving it a mount or upgrading or whatever you want to do. Another alternative you've got is use the Anvil of Apotheosis to craft your own character across uh, various different points levels. I'm going down on the Friday and playing some games on the Friday that are 600 points and it starts off at 20 points, I think there, 20 um, destiny points. And then over the weekend, like Dave said, it goes up. So what I have done is kind of designed this this general for my night haunt. I don't you know I don't want to take any special characters. So even though like Lady Alinda's really good in a uh, night haunt army, I've got zero named characters. It's all going to be around my my invented character, who is heavily based on uh, influences for this. Was I'm a big fan of horror films. One of my favourite horror films of all time is the original Japanese version of Ring. Scary ghost girl that climbs out of a well, terrifying stuff. Um, <laughs> so. I thought, okay, well, we'll do some research and and kind of spirits and ghosts and stuff are called um, yurei in Japanese. And there's some really cool, like, old artwork of, like, spooky snake-like ghost girls with big long arms and spookiness. And I thought, we haven't really got that in there in the Nighthorn range. So it's going to start off in a well based around the Scripta Mortis model because it's got a hunchback and some arms are, like, on the book and writing and they'll be really good for this thing like clambering itself out of the well that will be like the initial model and then over the course of the weekend she's going to kind of gather power and kind of change into a more kind of like uh, true form so the middle model is um it's going to be based on the Morngul, but i'm going to kind of invert the body so it kind of like loops up and then all of the current nighthawk models that 
none of the Nighthawk models have any legs. And instead, they've got like ghostly, ethereal tendril, tendrils kind of drifting out. So flip the Morgul, put its head the right way around, sculpt some long hair onto the Morgul to give it that kind of sadako from Ring look. Its claws can be one of them clutching the tree, the other one kind of creeping forward, and then the kind of the tail turning into like smoke. And this is wrapped around one of the old wildwood models. Nice. So that'll be pretty spooky. And then for the final one, I'm thinking we'll go all in on the spooky Japanese ghost story thing. I wanted to have like a Tory gate. Now, the closest thing in the Citadel range to that is the shrine on top of the, the Lumineth uh, scenery piece. So that will be the, on a base. I'm thinking like a Archeon size base, maybe with this kind of like shrine on. And then essentially what I've done for the middle thing, but kind of go to town a bit more, it's bigger, it's more aggressive. It's kind of like posed above this, maybe holding it with its arm. And then around it, kind of coming out of it, is like a cloak of spirit hosts. Think Doctor Strange in the recent film at the end. If you've seen it, you'll know what I mean. And um, yeah, that's that's the plan. So what we're going to do is uh, start converting those up, building them, and yeah, going to town on them really. I absolutely cannot wait uh, to fight your Nighthorn. It's I, I can't remember the last time I played a Nighthorn army. Oh, yes, I can. The tournament that I got the wooden spoon, I fought a Nighthorn army. It was my last <laughs> game of the tournament, um, and I should have won it if it weren't for those pesky ev- evocators failing a charge. Two well, charges, in fact. A, this is it, isn't it? For the for the path to glory, so we're going to do some, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but we're going to do a, 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 a series when we're kind of, creating our armies and then no doubt we'll have some get hopefully hopefully be in my new house and we'll have the new Spoos and brew studio and we can film some battle reports as well so if that if the stars align we might be able to to do some pre-path to glory episodes that'd be fun wouldn't it oh that would be so good it'd be so so good fingers crossed for your house move matt yeah so we do have quite a bit still yet to get through, including heading into Gurn. Before we do that, let's go through the latest news, which is coming up next. So what do we have in this week's news, Matt? Well, still up for pre-order is Warcry Heart of Gurn that we'll be talking about in a little bit. A two-week pre-order window, which they do for a lot of the kind of like new game releases. I quite like that. It gives you a little bit of a breather after the uh, after the big box. Uh, but in a bit of a change from uh, the norm, we've got a few bits that are up for pre-order um, on Saturday. So first of all, if you play Warhammer, the Horus Heresy, and you, for some reason, don't like carrying around big, massive books with all the legions in, uh, on Saturday you can purchase digital versions that you can access on your data slate of choice that's pretty cool they're not doing any um and a lot of the kind of main studio stuff's been tied to the apps hasn't it where i know the the forge world and specialist studios um tend to still have the epub versions and don't get me wrong i like having a big chunky book but um they are big books for heresy aren't they yeah let's be honest out of all the books currently available these need a digital version more than most i mean Personally speaking, I would still probably bring along the big chunky book as I'm not fully 
digital yet. Maybe you can call me a little bit of a dinosaur, but I can absolutely see the appeal of um, wanting to get the digital version of this out. Does it, yeah. does it say if it comes with all the generic stuff that's um, sort of available to all legions or is it just for yeah legion it's, 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 li- it's, lit- it's literally the contents of the hardback box in digital form the same book just pdf of them oh nice oh that's pretty useful yeah it's pretty useful so that's pretty cool um also if you're a heresy fan and there might be some heresy fans in the room right now who are interested in these uh forge world i believe have got some pre-orders first of which being the dark angel upgrade heads and shoulder pads these are pretty tasty. Mm. Yeah, all the heads and shoulder pads that they've um, revealed so far have been have been pretty good. I, I particularly like the bare head in this set. Mm. Kind of bit, uh, looks a bit Ned Stark. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's really really cool. Uh, and if you do collect the Dark Angels, the First Legion, you can pick up Marduk Sedras as well. Um, uh, feels like old news for us because we've seen this model months ago at the um, the Heresy Open Day, but he is now available for general release, which hopefully See, means that Lucius isn't too far behind him as well. Seeing Marduk, Matt, he's, he's sat next to me. He's just said hello. He said hello. <laughs> he's a really cool model. I do like him. He's uh, He's quite nice. Now, if you want a superior legion to the Dark Angel, of course, which should be any of the other ones, really, um, <laughs> there's some upgrades available for you. If you're a fan of the White Scars, interestingly, there's some Mark II torsos available. They're compatible yeah. with the Mark III and Mark IV legs and heads and arms and stuff, but the chest plate is based on Mark II armour, which is interesting if you want a bit of variety in your force. Obviously, by the time of the, the the Siege of Terror, people have got scraps of different armor marks, so you could easily have Mark II chest plate with Mark IV legs or whatever variety of armor you've managed to scavenge as your stockpiles are depleting within the Legion. Now, obviously, there's no Mark II plastic kit yet. I'd love to see that, but it's quite nice that these exist. In addition well, to them, there's some Mark IV shoulder pads for the White Scars as well. Aren't the um? Is it the Gunners for the Spartan and the Rhino? Don't they come in Mark II armor? They do. They are in Mark II armor, and it wouldn't surprise me if we get Mark II armor at some point, maybe in the next. I don't expect them soon, but maybe the next kind of like year of releases or something. They want to refresh the Marine kit, plastic Mark II set with different weapon load out or something would be pretty cool. Now the White Scars are pretty cool but they're not as cool as the Emperor's Children. And they have got Mark III shoulder pads, and again, interestingly, Mark II shoulder pads available to uh, to pre-order. And alongside them, some rather gorgeous Mark IV torsos with the Imperial Eagle. The Emperor's Children, of course, being the only Legion who are allowed to display the Imperial Eagle on their chest due to the loyalty they have in the Emperor. Lol. So, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I normally know. I normally don't allow lols for as an actual part of the English language. Like it's fine in the text, but do not say it out loud. But I'm going to let you off, Matt, because that was absolutely perfect. <laughs> uh, these look really nice and insult to the imperial dogs who will feel disgusted at seeing that eagle upon their chest. So yeah, some pretty fun stuff. I um I quite fancy those uh emperor children upgrades because i am building some emperor children at the minute as well so uh yeah they will be they will be going on the shopping list now 
I know, I know, Andy, you certainly are. And Dave, you've been tempted by some things in the past. On Sunday, the 7th of August at 2 p.m., we have got a Middle Earth strategy battle game preview online. This is super exciting. We um, we had a day at Warhammer World not so long ago, Andy, didn't we? Playing some uh, Middle Earth, and I've been desperate to play some more games since then because it is such a good game. Such yeah. Good, and I don't think it it's sometimes overshadowed by some of the other mainline games, but it's a really kind of like slick game system, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I again, I, I haven't played. I when I first got into the hobby when I was about eleven, so like twenty odd years ago now, I started obviously with with Middle Earth, and the game has like I never really played it that much. Like I bought bought the models, painted them, that sort of stuff. But I never really played the game, and so when we had our sort of like trip to Warhammer World a couple of weeks months ago now. Um, it was awesome like it was so much fun like don't get me wrong you look you look at it and you kind of look at the wound chart and it's like oh you you know you have to roll a six and stuff like that but you'd be amazed at how quickly stuff actually dies and when they brought out the um sort of like the the easterling stuff like the dragon emperor and all that sort of stuff like i just fell in love like i've always had a special place for the easterlings because of the of the films and stuff and that scene where they're walking into the the black gate of mordor and yeah. stuff but yeah i mean who knows what saturday preview is going to be if, if it's a new edition of the game that could be the drive i i need to finally finish off my easterlings and get enough stuff done so we can play through some of the um defense in the north scenarios and stuff because i really want to oh, play yeah. through that well there's a few there's a few things that um this could be i can tell you for a fact what it isn't though uh Warcom shared that it is not related to the rings of power tv show so there's a lot of speculation online you know what if games have got the rights and they're not necessarily saying they haven't and they won't be in the future and again that's mm. just speculation but this this preview definitely doesn't have any rings of power stuff it's more so a celebration of 20 years of the two towers which came out 20 years ago which makes me feel incredibly old now i don't believe it i'm in denial (laughs) so yes and it's an hour long preview so i wonder so last time we we had the similar a year ago for um the the 20th anniversary of the fellowship of the ring we got the um amon hen scene reset from forge world uh we got quite a few made towards that tied in with it we got the surprise release of the balance tomb board game which came out of nowhere and uh, obviously defense of the north which i think bits of have been delayed and unfortunately have kind of spilled into this year haven't they now some eagle-eyed members of the community have spotted that um that uh faramir and gothmog are being rotated out of the range now why am i this be oh what if they got some new plastic models what if we had an osgiliath themed box that would gel quite well with the stuff that was in the pelina fields box because you've got you know gondor you've got the um the the orc army led by gothmog that seems quite a, a clever thing to do it could be set out in the wild you know where they pick up sam and frodo and Gollum, but there's less they can do like miniatures game big box from that isn't there because really the small skirmishes where for a skilliath you could have some new scenery and a and load of you know faramir mounted with some knights of gondor riding in because those gondor models are quite old now and based on the pelina fields box 
we only really got the new the new plastic character, didn't we? So it could be a similar situation. Or we're barking up the wrong tree, and it isn't a new big box set. But I don't know. I've got there's been a lot of big box sets recently in Middle Earth, like the odd one out there that hasn't had one since Pelena Fields. Yeah. It, those big boxes kind of breathe life into the game, don't they? Like you, we played Middle Earth at what 400 points or something. You you pick up a box like that, and you've got two armies out of the box, haven't you? Good to go. Yeah, I mean, looking for um middle earth one thing i really want from this preview is um some more plastic kits of like existing miniatures like the riders of rohan i think that's the same kit that i bought when i was about 11 years old yeah so, that, those, so, so those all of those figures would have been in the two towers box 20 years ago in september i think it came out um and and for the new the new edition of middle earth we've only seen plastic redoings of metal or resin figures haven't we we've mm. seen some cool scenery and the scenery has been phenomenal uh, and we've seen a lot of cool resin stuff we haven't seen any infantry kits like redone as plastic um it would be really cool to see like you especially if it is two towers themed you ride as a rohan you could arguably put some real guard components on that frame as well yeah i mean looking at like how the plastic sprues, I mean, again, le- using the Chaos Legionnaires that I've been building as an example, comparing them to the, the Chaos Space Marines that I built and painted 15 years ago, you know, the, the stuff that they could do with Middle Earth plastic kits now, I mean, even if they went, here's 10 Warriors of Rohan in a box and it's got um, bits to build one warhorn one banner a captain yeah and then a couple of of guys you know if they brought out a riders of rohan kit that was four riders of rohan but you had bits to build you know for rohan royal guard or you know even an upgrade sprue or something like that that you sold separately to to combine with that kit wow yeah <laughs> it's uh, uh yeah i'm super pumped for for see what happens with the middle earth going forward yeah, I, I just, just remind me of something. Do you remember a while back, uh, it was an old Warhammer Fest uh, in Coventry, and we were chatting with Adam Troke, I think, and there was talk of upgrade kits for some of those older ones. I think they did a few in resin. But you're right, Andy, it, you do a similar thing that they've done with Kill Team, and you put out a separate frame that could potentially update some of those old ones. That'd be cool. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Anything that you want to see from this one, uh, Dave? You're... You you weren't too a fan of the scale because the scale is a little bit smaller than most Games Workshop figures, isn't it? So it's a little bit fiddlier to paint. Yeah, I'd like to see, and this would annoy absolutely everybody bar me, prim- primaricized Lord of the Rings miniatures. <laughs> okay, I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, we'll go we'll go primaris Urukai. Um, yeah, I think the scale I don't think will change, but we could see some nice easier to paint models maybe. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with that as a more realistic. A option. lot of the metal and resin, replace it with plastics. Uh, if we go with the Gondor theme, uh, the kind of um, fountain guard, there oh. with metal models, replace them with a nice new plastic kit. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. I love those guards of the fountain court. They are so iconic for me. Yeah. Absolutely love them. The, the only thing that deters me, and that's more of a Return of the King thing, isn't it? If we're talking two yeah. towers, we've got. Um, 
Helm's Deep, but obviously we've had a lot of Rohan stuff a couple of years ago with that supplement. Could we see the old Helm's Deep model re-released or, or recreated by Forge World as a big 300, 400 pound massive resin Helm's Deep? I would buy one. Yeah, that would be very cool. I, I kind of hope it would be a plastic kit, if I'm being honest. But well, that that would just oh, be... Oh, and again, they've done some magical stuff with plastic. What makes me think resin is, obviously, the Amon Hen was a was a resin kit as well, where the the Rohan the houses and the um, uh, gold or girl is more modular and can go in different ways, where a, a castle can only really go together one way. But Ray does some really clever stuff with plastic frames, doesn't he? So... Hmm. Could you do a kit that's maybe modulating? I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. But there will be cool reveals on Sunday. So be there or be square. Now, speaking of cool stuff, we have seen the drip, drip, drip of info on the leagues of Votan, the squats for for those of a older generation. Um, and I think it's safe to say some of the, some of the models have been hit. Some of the models we've been, had mixed views on in Spruce and Brews HQ, but I think we have got unanimous thumbs up for the uh, the kit that they showed off this week, the Cthonian Berserks. Wow, <laughs> think sci-fi space dwarf slayers with power axes, and yeah, they the are. Best- but the best way I can describe them is they're like ogrins, but about half the size. <laughs> they are, aren't they? <laughs> Cyborg ogrins, half the size with massive weapons. Yeah, I wasn't expecting this. I don't know about you guys. No, I I certainly, certainly wasn't expecting um, these. But whilst they are quite different than what we've seen so far, they, they, they still absolutely fit right in with the army uh, I, I in particular i think what really sells these um models to me these models that we're seeing with blades and close combat weapons is how they painted the weapon glow like the like you know let's let's call them lightsabers because that's kind of what they're described as yeah and they look superb and we've seen, now seen like axes that you know you can there's a guy that's that's quite clearly got what are basically power fists like their own variant of them um they look mean yeah i mean that guy that guy looks brutal doesn't he no top beard power fist somebody's definitely spilt his pint and he's not happy about it not just <laughs> not just that power fist he's, he's rocking two of them two powers like, yeah ugh, yeah amazing. he must have a really big mug to hold with those power fists <laughs> someone's obviously knocked it over and he's not too happy yeah no. these, these are phenomenal and i can't wait to see more um yeah i think I think there might be some more surprises. It wouldn't surprise me if they're they're keeping like a big centerpiece model under wraps. Mm. You know, something all the stuff they've completely reinvented. We've gone away from the the bikes in leather jackets with shades on a trike, haven't they? Yeah. That, that's been reinvented as a, as a flying. It's you can see the same concept there, but they've they've gone in a different direction. Uh, and these guys are, you know. You can imagine the 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 kind of like meeting in Games Workshop where somebody's put you know space slayers or something, and this is then filtered through, and you've got these guys. So that concept of the old like land train or something for the uh, the squats. Imagine all the sorts of crazy stuff they can do to create that same concept with a big like I assume super heavy kit as a big centerpiece. 
Yeah, I mean, even a, a, a scenery kit, because we, we know from sort of like the Warcom articles that they they follow this like AI intelligence, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a, a flying obelisk that contained part of that AI oh, intelligence? Yeah, one of those one of those cores as a scenery piece or even yeah. as a unit. Would yeah. it come to battle with them? I don't know. I want it to. Yeah, hopefully we're not too far out now. I suspect these will drop in the next couple of months. And I do wonder if they will be in Kill Team as well. So speaking of Kill Team, we've learned a few little snippets about Into the Dark, which is the next big Kill Team box coming out, which pits the Imperial Navy breaches against a crude fast rider kin band on board a spacewalk of all things. And it's the spacewalk I want to see, really. But we did see a really, really cool model this week a new crute tracker and i've got to say i have fallen in love with this model it's got a bird a space alien bird <laughs> kind of perched on his gun or her gun um yeah it's it's cool i mean uh, either of you chaps fans of the crute i am now <laughs> well, no, i mean the crute the crute kit's another old one that came out um that's an older kit than the Middle Earth, because I remember the games day where they announced the Middle Earth strategy battle game. When you went in, you got a free sprue of crute because the tower had been released then. So that kit must be 21 years old now. So it is long overdue an upgrade and it, they've certainly done an upgrade on it, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I liked the um, the crew before this model was revealed today. I, I really like the ones that we'd already seen. Um, but this further just adds to how much I like this um, this kill team. But the one thing we're missing at the minute is, it, and you know they've got to be doing it, is the crew tox. There's got yep. to be a crew tox in the kit because they, they've thrown the crew hound in there. We saw that initially when it was revealed, wasn't it? We, we yeah. saw the crew hound. So they, they've got to throw a crew well, tox in there. this is it. The Imperial Navy breaches no doubt have like pneumatic drills or something to break open bulkheads on a Spacehawk. What are the crew going to do? The, the bird ain't going to hack it, is he? Pecking away with his little beak. Now you'd send a, a crew tox into it. Smash the door down. Do you not think it's a bit too big? It's, not, it's only on a, a Terminator-sized base. Isn't it? I suppose, yeah. yeah and and again, suppose. you want to batter down doors in a space hook, you bing a big beastie to do it. Yeah, and this is true. Conveniently, it will also flatten any squishy Imperial Navy breaches that get in your way. Yeah, I think Andy's right. I reckon we'll get a crew hound and a crew ox in this kit, and that'd be really cool. And if we don't, hopefully we do get one at some point in an expansion box or something maybe down the line yeah i'm super excited to see the scenery in this box because i think that's going to be the game changer and that's the one thing they haven't really showed off and they've kept a bit mysterious haven't they but the uh the, the idea of having my very own space hawk excites me greatly so back to the um 31st millennium warhammer the horus heresy uh, we have got a new Praetor for the Emperor's children come in. He looks glorious. So, again, the Emperor's children, possibly the best of the uh, the legions. He is, he, he likes his bling, doesn't he? <laughs> he does, he does. <laughs> he's, got, he's got all the gold. He's got a massive, like, cape. It's not even on his back. It's just attached to his shoulder because it looks cool. 
you know, he's going to regret in that when that goes under the wheels of a predator or something, he gets dragged away. But he'll worry about that later. I think my favourite thing about this model is the helmetless version. And, oh boy, he ugly, as the kids would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so the Emperor's children can take, like, um, augmentations in their list. They can, they can replace their vocal cords with, like, speakers and vocoders and stuff to make an awful noise to really confuse you know their opponent a bit of a precursor to the sonic weaponry that we get in 40k and he just looks so hideous and weird with that with that upgrade i i need i need this person in my life now he needs to (laughs) he he needs to be in my army so i can paint him up because he is beautiful now if you prefer your space marines of a more (laughs) Boring flavor. I say boring. They're quite cool. They're quite cool. Uh, we've seen the uh, models that we're getting in Space Marine Heroes season four. I want to say three or four. Uh, basically, the, the blind box uh, Space Marines. So in Japan, I think these were designed for where uh, traditionally hobbyists haven't got that much space to collect an army, and kind of blind bags and gacha are quite popular. They came up with the idea of having these blind boxes where you get a box and get a model at random and you can collect them and it's not a massive army that you have to collect because you can just collect that series of space marines we've had death guard we've had ultramarines maybe or maybe it was generic space marines i forget they all blend together this time we have got blood angels interestingly it's space marine heroes 2022 set one uh maybe implying there'll be a set two and who knows a set three in the future uh, in this one there is six unique blood angels that you, you can collect and you know what they're pretty nice sculpts i quite like these guys um they come in blind boxes that are five pounds each they come eight to a box the entire set comes in a box and there's two duplicates so you can try your luck just buying a random one or if you buy an entire box of them you get all six varieties and thinking about it it's what 30 quid for six models that's probably similar price to um you'd pay for a, a you know some kits now anyway so i think they're quite cool do you guys like these i actually had a couple of the death guard ones i kind of regret not buying the box and getting all of them and um, but the ones i do have are are pretty cool um really nice stances slightly different plastic but just as easy to put together and uh, and paint so yeah i, I like these yeah, yeah I, push fit. I, in fact, I remember the first season was Terminators, Blood Angels Terminators, if I remember rightly. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I'd, I'd bought the Death Guard like you, Dave, because they were absolutely amazing. But looking at these new Blood Angel ones, the, the nice thing about them is they're firstborn Marines, they're not Primaris, which yeah. I really like because, you know, this is controversial. But I actually prefer firstborn Marines to Primaris Marines. Wash your mouth out, Andy. You know what? They're just so much cooler. Recently, and you know what? You know what? My thoughts, Andy, when I was cycling through this, um, forty quid to buy the box of eight. Obviously, you get two duplicates. You can stick on eBay or you can convert them. Uh, that is a Blood Angels kill team for what? Forty quid? Yeah. Thirty quid if you can sell the other two spare models that you don't need. That's pretty good, isn't it? Mm. So yeah, I quite like these guys. Uh, don't know when they're out um, soon. In fact, I do know when they're out. I do know where they're out. Uh, selected outlets from the 30th of July. 
and they'll be available on Games Workshop and Warhammer stores from the 1st of October. So not long at all to pick them up. Um, Excellent. So 30th of July um, has passed. So who knows? If you're out in the wild in a non-Games Workshop hobby store, you might already be able to pick these up. So that's pretty cool. I'm going to have to do that. And finally, it's been a really long news section. But finally, we've got something exciting announced this week as well. Now, boys, you are both fans of Aeronautica Imperialis. Andy, I know you've been itching to play some games. And Dave, I know you've been desperate to play it because you're a big fan of X-Wing and stuff. Well, it's all been quite recently on the Aeronautica front, but it seems that it's coming back with a new edition, with a new book, Warhammer, the Horus Heresy, Aeronautica Imperialis, set during the Horus Heresy, fleets of space marines fighting other fleets of space marines that is rather exciting um i uh, i am a big fan of this i'm going to paint up some purple flyers to shoot down some black and red flyers dave <laughs> yeah i i quite like the idea of it again it's all about linking your games together you know it, it for me I'm definitely going to be picking up some just to paint up as as Iron Warriors, like similar to you, Matt, with painting them as uh, Emperor's Children and stuff. And then when we play a bit more Heresy and stuff like that, and dare I say we play, you know, a campaign or whatever, we can always play those Aeronautica games and then sort of link them into our actual games of Heresy. And I, I really like that. I think it's very cool. Yeah. And, you know, what i do wonder what the master plan is here you know what game is also set during the horus heresy and is it at the exact same scale as aeronautica imperialis adeptus titanicus now if say for example you then brought out a kit of itty bitty little marines and itty bitty little rhinos and spartans and stuff it doesn't take a lot to create a new edition of uh, epic 40k does it no and that would make a lot of people very very excited so yeah exciting times um i it seems that we've had a, a flurry of specialist game stuff recently and uh, i can't wait to see what else we get excellent stuff um quite a, a variety of stuff in this week's news matt yeah we, it's it's um for a non-pre-order week there's been a lot going on yeah absolutely Cool. Well, I think it's time that we head into the mortal realms and find out a little bit more about the latest Warcry box. So we're going to grab a fresh brew and we'll be right back. So the heart of Gur, the new box for Warcry is now on pre-order and we have been very lucky to receive a box courtesy of Games Workshop to review and to discuss. Now, Matt has been tasked with the massive job of not only reviewing this box, but also painting its contents. So who better prepared to talk us through this next segment but Matt himself? So, Matt, tell us about this box. So Warcry is, um, I guess, akin to Kill Team in that it's a skirmish level game for Hammer Age of Sigmar. You've got a small warband of three to 15 warriors and you'll be playing hour-long games against another warband when the original game came out it was set within the eight points which is the uh the realm of archeon it is a, a strategic uh realm that has realm gates 
to every other realm. So obviously, um, during the Age of Chaos, Archeon took this and gives him quick and easy access to all of the realms and the mortal realms. Um, and in the original Warcry, it was basically set around these these different Chaos Warbands who were trying to get his his attention and his glory. And while a really, really cool game, and there was rules to use other Grand Alliances, it was very Chaos-focused, wasn't it? And I think that maybe put a few people off because, I mean, I love Chaos, so I, I was all over the models. Um, but, say, Jay, for example, was never really fussed because there wasn't any, you know, wood elves or, or, or dwarfs or whatever he plays, those kind of races. Um, now, in the new edition of the game, it looks like they've, they've, they've changed things around a little bit. For Age of Sigma, we know that the current storyline is taking place within Gur, the realm of beasts, following the era of the beast and the awakening of Kragnos from his prison. And we've, we've seen this with the, with the General's Handbook this year, um, when Gallet, Gallet, I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, which is another region within Gur. So it looks like Games Workshop are trying to synchronise all the different like storylines and products so they're all happening around about the same place, which in my books, that is really, really cool. So um, Warcry, the, the new edition, and this box initially is to set within Gur. And um, in particular, the the Narwood, which is a which is a wood in the in the centre of Gur, full of carnivorous trees that um, eat creatures. You don't get you don't. It's not, it's not like a walk through Delamere Forest. You you want to watch out for these trees. Um, and it seems that um, a while ago, we don't know we don't know when exactly, but a Seraphon void ship, the, the starships that the Seraphon used to travel uh, interstellarly. Is that a word? It is now. Um, unfortunately, crashed into Gert, into this uh, into this forest. Most of it was destroyed, but sections of the craft survived. And inside the uh, the Ayachotec, the, the, the ship that the Seraphon had, there was various bits of arcane technology. There's machines that could bring people back from the dead, devices that can alter reality, you know, think Thanos level power within this starship. Uh, thankfully for the peoples of the mortal realms, it is buried deep within a carnivorous wood that is super deadly. However, um, an explorer from the um, the cities of Sigmar, um, the Dawnbringer Crusades, this explorer went with his little entourage tracking through the forest. I, I picture him being like an Indiana Jones style character. And he came across this uh, this crashed Seraphon ship, looked inside and, and, and found this technology. And rumours are now abound of all these wonderful devices and relics and artefacts that are scattered through this uh, um, through this wood from the destruction of the Seraphon ship. And that is the kind of like law nugget that starts off the, the storyline for this edition of Warcry, um, which in itself is quite interesting. It looks like they've gone for the kill team approach. Now, if you've been following kill team over the last year, every quarter a new box has come out with two warbands, a load of scenery, and then rules to use everything in the box. Now, Warcry is following the same model. And over the course of the year, we will see the continuation of this storyline. So initially in this box now, we are on the outskirts of the Narwood. The various Grand Alliances have heard about these artifacts 
and, and groups of fighters, war bands, mercenaries, all sorts of stuff, are venturing into the Narwood to try and retrieve some of this stuff for their various grand alliances, which already seems more like inclusive to all the grand alliances and gives everybody some like incentive to get in there. Like Dave, you you've played various armies, but I could see all of your armies that you collect having a reason to go in here and look for this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So so yeah, and, and basically over the course of the year we will venture deeper and deeper in until eventually we get to the Seraphon Void ship and hopefully, I assume, we'll see kind of like Catacombs 2.0 and our warbands will get on board the ship and there might be like arcane defences and and more kind of like corridor-based gameplay. So that's really exciting. And I think, um, I mean, quick show of hands. Do you prefer the the kind of model that we saw last time or do you prefer this every quarter there will be a big box, there'll be scenery in there, there'll be two new warbands and all the scenery will be thematically linked so you could put it all together to have an awesome Gurr-themed Age of Sigmar board? Yeah, I, I like it. Um, I, I don't know quite if I'm a big fan of having so many big boxes, but I, I get it for the narrative and um, the scenery kits at the moment. I mean, especially if they're going to be interchangeable, will be incredible. Um, I just don't know if that's too many big boxes for something like Warcry in, in a year. Now, the thing, so, the thing to keep in mind, though, it is using the same Kill Team release. So when the next big box comes out... All the various bits of this box will be available separately. So if yeah, you don't want all cool. the scenery, you can just pick up the warband. Or if you do want the scenery but you don't care about the warband, you can pick that up as well. Bearing in mind that based on Kill Team, you do get a considerable discount if you do get the big box with it all in. Yeah. Um, so, See, yeah, so for me, I because I haven't bought any of these big Kill Team boxes. And buying like the, the Chaos Legionnaires, for me, I was kind of like, you know what, I'd like to paint up the Corsair Void Scarred as well. And then when you saw like all the scenery that you get, not to mention you get the um, a book with a load of campaign missions to play through the, the through the narrative and, and, and you know the rules for playing those two kill tips and stuff. You know, looking at it, I was just like, you know what, this is amazing. But I think my sort of mentality to sort of like war gaming over the last probably over the last sort of like three months has, has changed a little bit away from bigger games like I've I've got about seven Age Sigmar armies that I can play at 2,000 points you know or, or, or more so for me I'm kind of taking a step back away from starting new projects for for Age of Sigmar and for 40k I've got like a thousand points of Chaos Knights and I want to get sort of uh, another thousand points of Chaos Knights done so that I can run you know a 2000 point list and go to events and you know all that sort of stuff and then i think i'm gonna sort of look at a lot more be specialist games and and just take a step back from from you know buying 400 500 pound armies and these boxes are absolutely phenomenal for getting so much in there like i mean looking at the the heart of gear box obviously you get the the Horns of Hashu, the Rotmire Creed, are they called? The Rotmire Creed, yeah. Yeah, I'm so proud of myself for getting that right. Um, not to mention the scenery, the core book, you know, all this sort of stuff. And I'm looking at it and thinking to myself, if I only spend 150 quid on a hobby in a, in, in a month, which, you know, is a challenge sometimes, um, 
I would buy this box. And then if we don't get another big box for another three months, I'd be happy with that. I quite like that. And then when that next box does come around, you know, hopefully even at my painting, you know, speed, hopefully I've got that big box built and painted and then I can jump into the next part of that narrative. And I really like that. And looking at like Kill Team, I'm super excited for this new season of Kill Team because I think I'm going to jump into it and, and try and buy each of these box sets so that if I wanted to in, you know, two years time, I can go back and I can play through all these different sections of the campaign. And I, I think that's, yeah. again, like I said, it might just be my sort of mentality towards this hobby by looking at these smaller specialist games. But I, I look at this and think, yeah, this is awesome. This is cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, over the course of that year, then you've got all eight warbands, assuming that there's no other like other ones that they release at other times, and four different scenery sets. And also, coincidentally, if you bought all four of those boxes, you could combine the boards that come with them to have a full Age of Sigmar board as well. Mm. I wonder if that's the intent. A fourth. Uh, girthing board so yeah i i like these kind of boxes i know you know that your mileage may vary and if you just want the core rules that's free on warcom now so that's a really good change likewise if you don't fancy any of these warbands and you've got an existing age of sigma army over the course of this week warcom are releasing profiles for nearly all of the um age of sigma range with Warcry profiles that are just as competitive as the um, as, as the, the, the kind of the boxed faction ones, um, so that I think that's a massive change because maybe that gives people the opportunity to get into Warcry without even spending any money at all, and, that, and that's really cool. So on that, let's have a quick talk about the rules and how it plays because I say it takes about an hour to play. It is a lot a lot quicker than a game of age of sigmar it's um it's it's quite a slick system for quick little games essentially you start off building your war bandit there's normally a thousand points the boxed war cry sets that you get are approximately a thousand points the factions in this box whichever way you build them and some of them have got multiple options so you might want to just check the profiles first but whichever way you build it you can't build them so that your warband's over a thousand points you can't you can't do something wrong basically which is really good you might have some points left over um again that's not necessarily a biggie especially if say i don't know dave and andy you were splitting this box you might be a couple of points under but it's not really going to make a difference and there might be some stuff in the chaos download from warcom where you can sub in an extra you know, clan rats and out of your collection that can make up the number. So that's pretty cool too. Um, the really cool thing about the game is that in the Warcry Heart of Gur box or in the cool rules when they're available separately, there's cards that you use to generate the mission. So first of all, you'll generate the terrain layout, then you'll generate the deployment zones, you'll then generate the victory condition, and then you'll generate a twist. Now, if you've played the Tempest of War cards for Warhammer 40,000, it's very, very similar concept. The only real difference being that you've got some set scenery layouts on those cards. Now, there's nothing to stop you just discarding those scenery layout cards 
and setting up the scenery however you like. But obviously those cards are designed to kind of like maximize the gameplay experience for both players. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. You were a fan of Tempest, Tempest of War, weren't you, Dave? I was, yeah, definitely. So seeing that as the core, like the core way of playing the game, I think that's pretty cool. The game's going to be an hour long. It's going to be really quick. And basically, each um, each warband has alternating activations. Now, like with Age of Sigmar, you've got a priority phase. Um, but the way it works in Warcry is a little bit different. You get six dice, each player, that they roll at the start of the turn. Now, you'll notice that a lot of the Warcry, well, all the Warcry warbands will have different abilities that trigger on duplicate number of dice so a double a triple a quadruple all that kind of stuff you roll your pool of dice and you separate the ones that are multiples and then you count up how many single dice you've got left so dave and andy you're playing each other dave you roll six dice wow you've got four sixes and two twos you've got no single dice but you've got some good multiple dice that you can use abilities on and those four four sixes for example you could do on two double abilities if you wanted or save them for a quad ability andy you roll two twos two threes a one and a four you've only got two doubles but you've got two single dice as well basically the person who's got the most single dice will get priority the other players obviously got the advantage of having more abilities they can trigger with their multiple dice but where it gets really clever is once you've rolled your dice you both get given a wild dice that you can add to your pool. You could either, for example, say, Dave, you've got four fours and two twos. You could use that dice to add an additional two to your pool. So you've now got a quadruple and a triple. However, say if Andy had one single and you had one single, instead of adding another kind of duplicate in, you could put that down as a single dice and steal the initiative from Andy. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really slick system. Um, you can also choose to save that wild dice for a later turn. So you go, you know what? In the in the first example that I did, you've got multiples, you've got no singles. Andy's got two singles. So whatever you do, you can't get initiative. You've got a quadruple with sixes, so that's a pretty good ability to have. So you might decide, you know what? Every turn, I'm going to save my wild dice, and then in the final turn of the game, I potentially got a, what's that, um, nine dice pool mm. to then either force initiative in your favour or have a load of cool abilities to trigger. I think that mechanic's really, really cool. Yeah, it's yeah. almost a game within a game, isn't it? It's almost a mini game. I mean, uh, and this is where the, the, the sort of the tactics really comes in when mm. you look at your warband and you look at the abilities that you can have because again like um you look at different leaders and stuff like that they they have different symbols so they might have different leader abilities and stuff like that so yeah having that ability you know you might look at um one of your leader abilities and it's a, a a triple and you'll think to yourself oh well that's not reliable you know like you said to you you might keep the wild dice for the first two turns so that you're guaranteed to get it on turn three or you know you could keep it turn one hope you roll a double on turn two and then use that wild dice to make that triple so you can use that ability i i really really like that and i think it's very very cool very interesting especially in terms of like a list building mechanic with your leaders and 
even your war bands because your your different um, fighters have access to different abilities depending on the symbols that are on the the cards and stuff like that. Yeah, this is right. And like you say, this is this is really where the while it's quite a simple game to play, I think there's a high level of strategy in there when you start digging into it. Um, th- th- they use a system called rune marks, which, for want of a better word, is keywords for for Warcry. Little icons that basically are determined by the weapon that you've got or the faction that you are. Some of your abilities will key off a certain icon. So when you're building your list, you probably want a range of icons so that you can trigger stuff from throughout your pool of abilities. So that's pretty cool. In addition to them, there's also some universal abilities that any fighter has access to. So a double adds one to your move, for example. But a triple heals you a number of damage points equal to the value on the dice. So in the example that we had earlier, Dave, you've rolled four sixes. That's a really good roll. And you might think, actually, you know what? I'm only going to spend three of them as a triple to heal six points of damage to one of my fighters. Hmm. So, so yes, that's really cool. Once, once you've determined who the who the initiative goes to, and you've got your pools of dice, you then start alternating, uh, activating players. So, if you've played games like Necromunda, very much the same. The person with initiative will pick one of their fighters first. That fighter will be able to do two actions. So, you've got move, you've got attack, you've got disengage, and you've got wait. Moves fairly self-explanatory. You can move around, you can climb up stuff, you can jump across gaps. Uh, um, what's cool about Warcry is that in a lot of games, say if you're in Necromunda for something, you're trying to climb up a surface. If you haven't got enough movement, you can't do it. In Warcry, because the activation doesn't end who you've got two, done two actions, you could do two move actions to scale a tree, for example, and get into a better vantage point. So it's not yeah. as if you, you can't get all the way up turn one. You've still got your other activation your other action, sorry, to carry on your movement. So that's really cool. And there's lots of cool stuff with the scenery that interacts with that as well. Attack is self-explanatory. You can either hit somebody who's within range of weapon or use a ranged weapon um, to shoot somebody. Disengage allows you to fall out of combat, and that's the only way you can fall out of it. Basically means that for um, a lot of, of warbands, you can force them to waste one of their actions by getting into a combat with them. Mm. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Ranged weapons have got um, minimum ranges, and they cannot fire into into people that are already in combat with another fighter. In the previous edition, you could shoot into combat, and that made shooty warbands like ogres or Caradron overlords very, very powerful. Ogres in particular, lead belts or something, they just tie up the warband and everyone else shoots into them. But now you can't do that. So that ogre would have to then spend one of their actions disengaging to allow the rest of his friends to shoot them. Again, just adding to the kind of like tactics. I like that change. I think when it comes to shooting into combat, that, that only really works on bigger scale games. It kind of ruins the, the fun in a small skirmish. Yeah, especially if you've got quite a low model count force as well. So being yeah. able to pin stuff and the other person can't really do anything kind of takes the fun out of the game. So that's a great change. Uh, the other type of action you can do is a weight action. And basically, you put a weight token next to them and then they get to do their action later on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there could be things that trigger or you might want one of the other fighters to do something else for now and then carry on the movement later. 
again, that's pretty cool. So on top of doing your two actions, you can do an ability that we've mentioned earlier, and you can do these, you, your resources, basically your, your bank of dice, but each fighter can only use one ability during their turn. So even if you had, I don't know, you had three triples, say Dave, you couldn't use all of them on one fighter, you'd have to use them on different fighters. That pool of dice resets every turn, so you may as well spend them. There's, there's no benefit to keeping them back. So that keeps no. the game kind of like punching quick. One new thing they have added to the game is reactions. So that's something that we've seen in uh, Horus Heresy to great effect. And it makes the game a lot more interactive and exciting because there's always something you can do in your opponent's turn. So reactions cost you one of your actions for your fighter. So you don't get them for free. So there is a bit of, you know, thinking about if you want to do them. But basically, there's three universal ones that you can do. And then every warband has got their own unique one. And again, it's like the the, the simplicity and, and kind of boiling it down to the core bits that you need. There isn't a list of like 20 different reactions you can do. You've got the three core ones and you've got your warband one. Dead easy to remember what they do. It keeps the game going quick. There's not pauses where you're flicking through a rule book trying to decide which of the 20, you know, stratagem equivalents you want to use. So the reactions that you've got um, is counter. So the way combat works is super, super simple compared to Age of Sigmar. There's not a to hit roll, a to wound roll, then a save roll. There's just a single dice roll that does all of that in one dice roll. Again, dead, dead easy. So if your strength is greater than toughness, one or two will miss, a three to five will hit, and a six is a critical. If your strength is equal to the toughness, one to three will miss, four to five will hit, and six is a critical. And if your strength is lower than toughness, one to four will miss, a five will hit, and a six is critical. Basically, three plus to hit, four plus to hit, five plus to hit, and sixes always do criticals. And six, the criticals basically do more damage. Some of the abilities in the in the warbands in the book, the standard attack might only do one or two damage, but that critical will do five damage or six damage. There's big spikes on those criticals. So really, you're fishing for those criticals. And it's the criticals that will floor your guys quite quickly. Yeah. So this is where the um, some of these reactions come in. So counter, if, say, Andy charges into combat and attacks one of your guys, you can choose to spend one of your actions for that fighter to counter. And that means for every miss that Andy makes, you do um, one damage back to him. For every one that he rolls, you do two damage back to him. So where, say, if Andy had a, you know, a random guy left, you've got someone with a high toughness. In the old rules... It'd probably be worth Andy running in and just trying to get a lucky hit on that tough fighter. But now, actually, that will deter Andy from charging your toughness five warrior because odds are you'll he'll miss more than hit. And if you do that counter, he could do a lot of damage back to you. Yeah. Sorry, you could do a lot of damage back to him without getting those hits through. See, I, I really like that, especially for those weaker fighters in your warband, you know, like your um, Noblars, for example. Yeah, yeah. You know, having uh, someone charge a Noblar and then you go, okay, well, I'm going to counter you. You know, that Noblar could do more damage countering than it probably would actually attacking. So I really like that. That's really cool. We've all had bad days where you roll like five ones for the hits. And with that, the nobbler just one shots the person that's attacking him. <laughs> I don't know. He gets lucky and just shivs him in the gut or something. I don't know. 
Uh, so that's really good. And obviously, it costs you on your actions. And like you say, arguably, the noble is probably doing more damage doing that reaction than fighting anyway. So yeah. the other way you can do is take cover. So this is a way of um, mi mitigating critical hits. So you use it when you've been targeted by a missile attack, uh, but before the opponent rolls. Any hits that are made, you roll a dice on a four plus, it downgrades a critical hit to a standard hit. Oh, wow. So basically okay. it stops those big spikes of damage. You've got a 50-50 chance of downgrading those big spikes, which is really, really cool. And again, well worth doing it. Mounted fighters can't do that, though. Um, that and there's quite a few different keywords. The final universal one is strike them down. And we mentioned earlier how pinning somebody in place is a quite a good tactic that you can move back and counterattack. Strike them down gives you a bit of um, insurance against that. If you use a strike down reaction when the fighter moves away on a four plus you do d6 damage to them wow that so is quite you, a big deal you've got to be careful pinning enemy fighters in place to try and stop them from from doing stuff because there's a 50 50 chance they do a lot of damage to you yeah i mean so doing yeah, six really damage cool. doing six damage to a fighter that, that's a big deal it is, yeah, and again, potentially worth using one of your actions for. So, and, and that's really the, the, you know, the the, the game that, you know, you, you'll go through each turn, you'll roll your initiative dice, you'll pair them out, you'll go back and forth activating your fighters. They've normally got quite kind of simple objectives, but you, you know, stuff's got a lot of wounds, but they go down quickly when you get these big spikes of like D6 damage a time. It's it's really quite cool. Um, yeah. like I mentioned, every, the, those universal reactions. Every warband's got a reaction. Warcom have put up reactions for every Age of Sigmar faction as well, so that's really fun. So you're not in any way um, hindered by using your... You've got a Lumineth army, you want to take the cool models that you like and build a Warcry warband. You are not in any way performing worse off than any of the boxed Warcry warbands. And I think that is a big plus for this game now. Yeah, if you've got an Age of Sigmar army, you've got a Warcry army... And all the rules are free to you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a free game. It's a free game, basically. We like free games. Free games are good. Now, obviously, you know, you buy the big box that you get in the gangs, you get in the scenery, you get in the physical rule box that people like. But the fact that you can dip your toe in, stuff like this tournament that me and Andy were talking about earlier, if you've never played before, download the free rules. You can work out your army list from your existing Age of Sigma army. But at most, it's going to have 15 models in it. You could go to town converting up a Warcry Warband for it. Yeah, it's really, um, really cool. That, that, that's kind of my plan, is, is especially for this October event. It's just pick a Warband, really go to town. You really get, like, I'm even considering buying some like uh, resin bases, you know, some really nice looking ones. Stuff that's too expensive to do over a large army but for a, a small sort of like war cry war band it, it'd be perfect for i mean looking at like um some of the, the some of the war bands well all of the war bands is one of the nice things that war cry allows you to do is you can still take heroes you know fine you can't take a mega boss and a more crusher but you can still take a mega boss you can still take a war chanter Yes, they're expensive, but you can still take these super cool models in a game of, of Warcry. And it's something that I feel has been missed in, in Kill Team is you can't take Terminators and you can't take Librarians and stuff like that. Well, Warcry, you know, like you said, all the rules 
for the most part are, are, are free and yeah yeah the, the possibilities i mean you know looking at like all the different um quote-unquote data sheets and stuff like that there's so many options for you to to focus on for for warband but i think it's going to be really cool to see what people come up with yeah i mean at the time of recording i can't go fully into the ins and outs of all the the rules that will be available however majority of your age of sigmar army will be takeable in some way and that's that's ace i'm even thinking now andy what i might do for an event is obviously we've got the path to glory i could take various models out of that path to glory and kind of tell their continuing story as they get sent off to Gur to go and investigate this narwood that, that sounds like that. a really good idea and it, it makes absolute sense as well yeah i like that i like that matt so that's really cool so that's the cool rules and like i say the rules are quite easy to learn but obviously there's a lot of strategy and tactics that you'll pick up as you're playing it and list building is going to be a big part the rest of the book goes into three ways of playing which we know is a, a concept that we've seen in a lot of games workshop stuff now it mixes up the rules in different ways so you've got different um different environments to play through i guess different different styles of play open play opens up with some more of the wacky fun light-hearted stuff this these are the kind of games that say us lot would play together with you know beer and pizza night we'll have a few games of war cry we'll just go for some wacky open play stuff and this includes coalition of death this is like 2v2 team battles you've got the majesty of triumph and treachery where you've got four players in a free-for-all just betraying each other immediately it's it's so so good it's really cool in triumph and treachery i didn't even mention the review i don't know why i didn't mention it you can um remember the original um warhammer fantasy triumph and treachery where you had the currency that you could do bartering with in Warcry triumph and treachery you were allowed to bribe other players with your wild dice <laughs> so dave you could go matt i'll give you this four for you to add to your pool if you definitely don't kill me next turn and then I immediately kill you next turn. And I immediately regret my life actions. Yeah, it's just it's, <laughs> it's so good. Obviously, it's not it's not match play. It's not balanced in any way, but it is most importantly fun. And, and Triumph and Treachery is just glorious. And you get like two different uh, missions in here, and I hope they kind of expand this stuff later on. We've also got match yeah. play, which while this is quite a narrative game, there are you know tournaments. Me and Andy are going to an event. And this kind of changes the way that the, the, the games are constructed. While a normal game of Warcry is constructed randomly using cards, this has six stock setup missions. So the deployment map's fixed, the victory conditions are fixed in order to give a balanced game. And there's six of these. And that's quite nice that you've got the, the, the quick and easy, yeah, let's draw up a map randomly. Or you've got the, here's six missions that are balanced and this is for tournament play again really nice touch if you're into that type of game i think personally we'd probably go with the random cards wouldn't we but uh obviously some players prefer that and if you've got a small group that wants to play through their own warcry tournament the book also gives you rules for creating your own warcry tournament as well which i always like to see in these books because andy you've ran a few tournaments and it's not easy jumping into is it no, I mean, looking back, you know, to the, the first sort of events we ran for Purple Spark Unicorns, knowing what we know now, you know, you just kind of 
slap yourself in the face, you know, for some blaring, obvious um, things that you, you, you would do now having that experience. And yeah, I think putting um, almost like a help guide into how to run events and stuff like that, it is absolutely phenomenal. It's absolutely, dare I say, it's such a good picture or a template to start from. And yeah, kudos to Games Workshop for for putting it in there. Me even down to stuff like, um, say if you've got 20 more players, it says that it's likely that if you have 20 more players, you'll have multiple people tied for first place. So it then gives you some ideas for tiebreakers in order to whittle that down. Yeah, definitely. I mean, any advice that people can give um, players to to running events and stuff like that is always good. I mean, you look at it and again, you might think, oh, Warcry, you know, let's say I get 10 players. Oh, I've got 15. Oh, okay. Well, you run the event and like you said, you get two people tied for first place. Well, how do we decide who who wins? Well, then, you know, you can either make your own mind up or, you know, you can look at this template that Games Workshop given you and you might be like, oh, okay, well, it's, you know, based on who wins by the largest margin or whatever. And you're like, okay, yeah. cool, yeah. Yeah, so what, one of the suggestions that they have in this thing is um, tournament quests. So it's a chart of six missions that you basically pick as a secondary, that in the case of a tiebreaker, the person who achieves the most of their secondary missions over the event uh, manages to get the win. So, yeah, really cool, really cool ideas in there. Now, we've only covered the first half of the book because the second half of the book is dedicated to narrative play. And I think it's safe to say that Warcry is the most narrative-heavy uh, Age of Sigmar game. 100%. And, oh, boy, it is glorious. So, obviously, we had, you know, narrative was a large element of the original edition, and that was expanded massively in some of the supplements. Um, if you check out Sprues and Brews, I've done write-ups of most of them, where they had all sorts of cool stuff, like pick-your-own-adventure-style branching quests and all sorts of cool stuff. They've taken all the stuff that worked in Warcry, and they've taken some of the stuff from Path to Glory, and they've added some stuff that was in, like, Mordheim and Necromunder and stuff, and merged it together to create a living, breathing campaign. You know, we love... Necromunda and the kind of progression between games and you really feel it with Warcry. You start off with your with your Warband roster, you've got a thousand points, but over the course of the campaign that may grow, that may drop down, you might capture monsters and bind them to your will and add them to your, your warband. You might go off on a specific quest to find a new hero to join your warband. You um, obviously with a bit of campaign play, you've got a bit more story and character going on. So you pick your one of your heroes and you give him a heroic trait. That's like an extra special rule they get to to show that they're your kind of special character who's leading that. You then also get a territory at the start of the campaign. You've just got a little encampment outside of the Narwood. But as you progress through the campaign, you might find new locations to camp in, and they've got different benefits. So outside the out Norwood, you've got no benefits. You know, it's you just you're in a tent outside. But if you go in, um, you could find a hidden cavern, for example, that's got some mysterious ruins and arcane technology in. And the benefit of having that hidden cavern is that you get an additional wild dice and your army can go up to 1,250 points. Wow. There's like 10 different locations that you can locate on here. 
each Grand Alliance has got a unique location that they can find, and every Warband has got a unique location they can find too. And I suspect over the course of this year-long campaign, we'll see more locations pop up as you start exploring it. It is such a good concept. And you're not safe. Your camp may be found or wild animals start charging through it. And you basically you've got to do a test to show the like integrity and kind of safety of your camp. You can fail it once and you kind of like on you know red alert, you're a bit wary. Fail it a second time, and all your guys have got to pick up their gear, run away, and immediately have to do a quest to find a new location to camp in, whether it be somewhere safe and out of the way, or take a bit of a gamble and go further into the Narwood, knowing that there might be some downsides to doing it. Stuff like that is so, so cool. Yeah, that that does feel it it feels very narrative, doesn't it? It feels like an ongoing story, you know, things happen that are out of your control. I mean, I, I love the bit that you mentioned about binding monsters to your your will and stuff like that. You know, imagine having, you know, a gloom spike gets force and you know, you've got an ale guzzler gargant suddenly appears you know fine it's you know majority of your your war band for this mission or whatever but just having those models it just it adds so much more to it you know you're having a troll or whatever you know it's very um dare i cross platforms here but very fellowship of a ring walking into balance yeah. doom you know it you know it's like oh there's just goblins oh that's no problem and then stone troll turns up and you're like, ah, okay. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. What yeah. you really love, Andy, is in the back of the book, there's a map you can print out to track where you camped as well. So each player's got their own map showing where in the Narwood they're, they're based in. Oh, it's wow. so fun in a campaign. Yeah, it's, it's so, so good. So over the course of a campaign, um, you, the, you, you've you got the kind of same post-battle thing that you've got in necromunda so you earn glory you could get injured you've got to roll to see what happens to them they could get blind in an eye or killed and if they're killed they're gone forever you need to replace them uh with that you've got currency where you can recruit new people to your warband um you can send your guys out to find some loot you could send some guys out to explore the narwood and they might find a new location for you to move to uh, there's loads of stuff that you can do between battles, and it very much feels like like Necromunda, like Mordheim, where the the in between stuff is as fun as the game itself. If that makes oh, sense. Yeah, that's good to hear. Now, quests are back, and these are similar to the quests that you have in Path to Glory, where essentially it's a little uh, I, I get something that your army wants to do. So, for the example of finding a monster, you could have a quest to hunt down a monster. And over the course of games, you track your progress and then eventually you manage to bring a monster into your warband or go looking for an ally or go on a quest to actually find a new location. And this works much like the Path of Glory stuff where you've got um, various uh, thresholds that you're trying to hit. And then once you've done that, you complete the quest. What they've added in this edition is another step on top of that, and that is campaign arcs. So this is really cool. While the kind of Path to Glory style stuff is really just you dealing with it, campaign arcs are overarching storylines that affect multiple players. They don't necessarily have to affect every player that's playing through the campaign. 
So, for example, in the core book, there's a, a campaign, The Path of Van Talax. So one of the warbands has found the map from Talax, the guy who discovered the, the Seraphon ship, and they are heading out into the jungles to, uh, to find it. Uh, but in true action movie style, you know, Indiana Jones, a rival warband is like tracking them. And over the course of this campaign arc, we see what happens to those two warbands as they go off, which is really cool. So say you've got like eight people playing, six of them are all doing their own individual thing, but two of them are then intertwined on this campaign arc that plays out. And then there's different rewards and benefits depending on what happens. The other campaign arc that's in the core book is the Chotek Valley. And this is a four player one where there's, you know, there's a lot of different things that can happen and depending on who's one stuff it goes to determining who fights next. But it culminates in a big four player game near a shard of Talaxis, near a shard of the Seraphon starship. And while the four players are fighting each other, a band of Seraphon turn up who then starts, they're just defending the ship. So they're attacking all of the players. It's so, so cool. Uh. And again, if you've got, you know, you, you can mix these up so you can have just individual quests and you can have a big campaign arc set up almost to the point where I think like Necromunda would be quite fun to have a person who's like the director behind the scenes who then drops in these campaign arcs at like choice um, narrative moments. It's so, so cool. So that is kind of expanded upon in the Rotten Ruin book. So in the box, you get the core rule book. But you also get the Rotten Ruin book, which is basically a battle tome, for want of a better word, for the, the two factions in the box. So as well as all the rules for them, and you get all the cards and everything for them as well. You also get narrative content for each of them as well. So unique quests for all of them, unique locations for all of them. And again, you get some new campaign arcs. So in one of them, there's there's six missions but you'll only play three of them because it's like branching based on the progress of each of them yeah that only triggers if there's a rot my creed player and a horns of hash up player within the same uh, campaign so say if i've got the horns of hash and you've got rot my creed at any point during this campaign we could decide to play through this campaign arc it's not going to affect everybody else's gameplay but we get a bit of rivalry going on and see a bit of a storyline play through that is yeah. so good. It's like, the, it's like the best of both worlds of having your individual path to glory style stuff that you're just trying to do yourself, but then also having stuff that interacts with other players as, as well. And I think that's really what Crusade and Path to Glory, I'd love to see like added. Stuff that overlaps between the two players where you've got opposing stuff that you're trying to do to each other. Yeah. I mean, it, we had it in the... Was it the um, Grand Alliance books they did previously for a previous edition mm. where the, the back of the books, it had um, linked campaign games. And some of them were actually set in the, like, was it the Broken Realms books? Um, uh, I think the, it was the um, the General's Handbook, the Warcry version of the General's Handbook. And there was um, some missions based on the Broken Realms techless Um book and and i thought that was like super super cool and going forward be very cool to see them do like a uh kind of like um what we've had with like the fondia book where you have like this war cry book that's happening at similar times and stuff like that that would yeah. be super cool but yeah looking looking at those campaigns 
that I mean, when you think about Warcry, you know, you like forty-five minutes to an hour to play a game or whatever. You could quite happily play through a small campaign over a weekend without, oh, yeah, absolutely. you know, without too much miver. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that especially the the narrative aspect of Warcry, they've they've hit it out of the park, like absolutely nailed it for me. Well, hold hold that thought, Andy, because the the, <laughs> the final campaign arc in the Rotten Room book is is something special. So it's for four to six players and basically represents a single champion kind of calling all the various tribes together to burn down a nearby village. So half of the campaign group joins this alliance of evil forces who are all banding together. The other half of the campaign group are then like the defenders who are trying to look after the settlements. Before we even get into like the gaming, the game heavily encourages you to fill out the narrative so all the the evil players get together and work out like the name of the the leader who's doing it what's happening all the good guys get together and draw a map of the cities they're defending and come up with a bit of narrative like there's no there's no gameplay impact on this whatsoever but in order to kind of really lean into the narrative because this is the big you know this is the the end of season um episode it encourages you to make that story so then in the future Say if, if if Dave plays a game and he recognises that Andy's warlord is actually the guy who led this big coalition of evil armies to burn down this village. It just adds some more narrative flavour to it, and it's it's just yeah, the, the guys have knocked out of the park with this. It's it's so good, and like I say, it's going to be continued over another three boxes over the course of the year. So like Andy said earlier, you could in theory have a bit of a I don't know a, a summer break this time next year where you play through the entire kind of story arc from this. And that's really exciting. I like that. I, I like all of that. I, I didn't realize how much narrative there was in, in this book. Maybe I was a bit mean on Warcry earlier. Yeah. It's, it's like I say half, half of the core book is narrative. That is, that is the majority of the game match plays like two pages. It's, okay. this is the, this is the narrative. If you're into narrative and you're into Necromander or you played Mordheim, give Warcry a go, especially if you play through that narrative stuff. At this time, I don't know if those rules are in the free Warcom stuff. I suspect it might just be the the, the, the actual, like, how to play the game. If that is included on the free stuff, then yeah, go for it. If it isn't, buy the core rule, but it's available separately because you will not regret it. It's so cool. Uh, Model-wise, we haven't really talked about these at all, have we? But the models are gorgeous. The scenery is amazing. It's perfect for Age of Sigmar. Um, I think I've gushed about Warcry enough. If you haven't <laughs> if you haven't guessed, I'm really excited about this game. And I can't wait to uh, have some games with you, Andy, because we need to get some practice in for this tournament. Yeah, definitely. I mean... Like you said, looking at like the horns of Hashu and the Rotmer Creed, when these were first sort of like announced, I kind of looked at them and went, yeah, they're amazing. They're, you know, they're cool, but it's kind of like, yeah, okay, fine. And then, yeah, talking about it with you guys tonight and then sort of like looking, now that we've seen the whole war band and, you know, you really go into detail and you look at those models, they're breathtaking. Like, they're absolutely amazing. Like, I'm looking at the horns of Hashu and I'm like, wouldn't that be cool if, you know, dare I say it, you know, in a couple of years' time we get Chaos Dwarves. Well, wouldn't it be super cool if we had, like, some Horns of Hashut to go along with them? Yep. And and they're fighting, like, the, the and using the air quotes here, like the skirmish battles that go alongside the, the main battle and stuff like that. 
super cool you know um, i mean i'm a big fan of nurgle as well so looking at the rock my creed i'm like yeah they look they look amazing yeah and in in the in the kind of uh subject of openness and you don't have to spend 140 quid to get into this game you 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 can easily just use your existing age of sigmar models and create a competitive Warcry Warband, which is so so good. We we were chatting before recording because you were, I think you were on the fence a little bit, and I said, "Well, you're scaven. You've you've got so many different models that you could use within a, a Warband. You could have ten unique models without having the. I think in the past there's always been like, okay, you've got a cool Warband of all unique chaos guys, and I've got three Stormcast spearmen and an archer." When now, mm-hmm. because there's a lot more variety, you can create your own little bespoke team, can't you? You can. You can, yeah. I mean, I, I've um, since we've been talking so much about Warcry, I've had a bit of a sneaky peek uh, online at, at the, the warbands that are... Excuse me. At the warbands that are currently available. And I'm looking at the Untamed Beast. They're, they're pretty cool. They I are. Like, I really quite nice. like those, yeah. So, um, and the Dark Oath Savages as well. So... Yeah, um, I can definitely see me playing this. It's, it's a lot more narrative than I expected. I don't think I gave it enough credit. Um, but yeah, uh, looking forward to, to to giving it a go. Yeah, so so yeah, it's another week on pre-order. And then, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what people do with the warbands as well. Because I think there could be some gorgeous paint jobs on these as well. Excellent stuff. Yeah, look forward to giving that a go. And, and as Matt said earlier on in the podcast, I can imagine us having a couple of games of this on a, on a stream at some point in the future, because um, they're nice and quick sort of games. Um, we'll have to we'll have to see. There's a lot we need to play, isn't there? We definitely need um, more time to to roll some dice. Yeah, if you are interested in Warcraft, that was a quick kind of me gushing over it there. I have got a full video review and a full written article as well. We're going to some of the rules in a bit more detail as well. So check that out over on spruceandbrews.com or over on the YouTube channel. And I will also pop a link to said article in the podcast notes to make it even easier for you to check out Matt's written review. And also um, make sure you check out our Twitter feed because Matt is in the progress of painting the contents and he's keeping us updated with lots of tasty work in progress shots i think we need to let matt um take a break grab a drink uh, we're not quite finished with this week's podcast though because we do have a really fun top three coming up next so keep listening So it is time for this week's top three. And for this week's top three, Matt asked us to pick out our favourite models um, that we are most proud of. So these don't necessarily need to be fully painted. It could be maybe a conversion that we've done uh, or anything like that. Um, it, could, it could even be maybe the first model you've built. It's not even painted, but the achievement is building it. So I will kick us off this week. And it was quite a difficult one um, for me because um I, i've painted so much cool stuff recently um so i've actually got a bit of a top five i'm not really going to talk about the, the two that aren't in the top three but I, I feel like i should mention them because i was really happy with how they turned out um so we'll, we'll put it in number five but it's going to be my tau commander and enforcer um battle suit and really happy with how he turned out we should really finish that tau army at some point uh and uh, in fourth place is kragnos 
Um, just an incredible model. Really enjoyed painting it. Proper centerpiece for my destruction forces. But anyway, let's get stuck into my top three. So my third choice was one of the main reasons I have stuck to this faction in 40k and grew a force big enough so that I could add him in. Uh, the force I'm talking about is the Necrons, and the model I'm talking about is my Void Dragon. Ooh, nice. So I, as soon as I saw this model, I was like, oh my god, that model is so amazing. Um, and I couldn't wait until I could finally get my hands on it. And when I did, I, I think I put all of a Necron painting that was in at the time to, to one side so I could paint this thing. And I, I was super happy with how he eventually turned out. Haven't actually had that many games of him, which is a shame. Um, but he very proudly sits on my Necron shelf, um, surrounded by all his lesser beings. Uh, and he quite proudly is centre stage. So, yeah, really happy with how he turned out. Um, used a lot of metallics and contrasts and stuff. So very, very happy. My second choice is a bit of a classic. I think it's appeared in, I think we've done potentially this top three before, or at least very similar. Um, my second choice, and I think it's going to take a while till I shift him, uh, is my Demon Prince of Nurgle. So um, he's very special to me because I don't do much conversion and there isn't much converted on this guy. Basically, he's got a pair of wings. Um, but that, that was a bit of a hobby achievement for me. Um, he also appeared on the Warhammer, well, Warhammer TV painting stream. Um, basically, I think it was Nick and Wade, I think it was, um, spotted him over on Twitter and, and asked me if uh, they could feature him. And I said, absolutely, of course you can. Um, and I'm really just happy with how he turned out, like the whole paint job, everything about him, all this skin, his armour, his face, everything just fit together perfectly and what is an even bigger bonus is every time i've used him or pretty much every time i've used him he's done pretty good you know um he's he's done me quite proud of my army so um super happy with how this model turned out i know the demon prince of nagel model gets a few near you know not a big fan of the model i don't think you're a fan of it are you matt i know in short no. <laughs> see i but love I, it i think it's great yeah, I really liked it and couldn't wait to get hold of it. Even even though it is fine cast, um, I really wanted to to get one, add it to my death guard, and get it painted, which I did. And yeah, but it has been knocked off the top spot because there is a more recent model that I built and painted. Um, it has already been featured in this week's podcast, and that is my Gracie on Screaming Bell. Um, this thing has taken, it's probably the longest model I've ever taken to paint, um, but I, I really do hope that has come across in the finished article. I can't actually wait to show you guys in person because none of you have seen it in person yet. You've just seen my pictures that I've been putting on social media and things. Um, but I'm really, really happy with how it's turned out and I, I can't wait to take it to an event. Um, whether or not its first event is a Path to Glory, it probably will be. I'm really looking forward to it. And it's a really classic kit as well, and it really stands up today, um, which is a testament to its original design. You're doing a great job on it as well, uh, Dave. It's, it's really good. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to you next, Matt. What would your top three be? Oh, I'm going to cheat. My number three is actually two models, but it's one kit, so, you know, I'll allow it. It's my top three. <laughs> and that is the Ven Dents. So these are the uh, daddy-daughter 
witch hunting combo for Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Um, uh, last year, I one of my hobby challenges was trying to like push my painting. So mm. the Van Dents were kind of an exercise in painting faces, following Louise Sugden's guide, and I made like three pages of notes and. I am so happy with how they turned out. I think there's real like personality to the faces and yeah. they look more, I guess, not lifelike, but more realistic than, than some of the faces that I've painted in the past. And I'm really, really happy with how they turned out. They took a long time to do that. And that's not something I do on every model. But I think for like centerpiece models and army, I'm now happier in painting faces. So those pair were kind of like the test models for that if that makes sense yeah absolutely i love these models and you have done an incredible job yeah i'm looking forward to the uh the witch hunters coming out for um underworlds because i may have to i may have to replicate the scheme on them uh number two it's, it's a similar one and it is horus lupicon the war master himself uh, again this is what i wanted to kind of push my painting and kind of go to town with him and i am so happy with how he turned out again i think the face i use what i learned painting the van dents and i'm really happy with how that turned out there's a few bits i could probably touch up and fix here or there but um yeah that's that's nearly hit the number one spot for my favorite model that i painted um but number one it, it it was on this list last time we did this back I don't know, pre-episode 100 maybe. Um, and it is my exalted, great, unclean one from Forge World. Mm. It really nice models paint up. Maybe technically not my best model painted from a technical point of view. However, this model appeared in the pages of White Dwarf magazine, and that was a big thing for me. That's a that's a proper nerd bucket list thing ticked off and i was so i've still got the white dwarf so nice to um to see it in the pages it's just yeah that's that's really cool for me and uh i uh i, I could never part with this model now because he's like you know it's special to me in that way if that makes sense yeah absolutely feet being featured in white dwarf that's that's so cool that's that's so so cool Cheers. Um, yeah, it was. And on, on that point, if even if you know you're not super confident with your painting, or you, you're worried that people say no, just take lots of pictures. There's a guide on Warhammer Community on how to take pictures of your models. Send them to White Dwarf. The worst they'll do is say, actually, can you take a, another picture with more lighting? They'll give you some guidance on that. And you never know. Just keep sending the images in, and eventually you might get in White Dwarf too. Excellent. There you go. That just leaves one member of the team this week to reveal their top three. That is you, Andy. So what has made your uh, final three? So my final three, I'm going to do in a strange order, and that's actually height order. Um, <laughs> of course you have, Andy. <laughs> so, I mean, there's there's a lot of choice. And my, my third choice, being the smallest model, is actually a Lord of Plagues. And I think I've bought this model probably about four times since it's come out. And I've built it. I've used it as um, like a realm walker for a narrative campaign that um, Warhammer World did. Um, I've done it for um, just a generic Lord of Plagues. I've done it because I've accidentally lost um, a Putrid Blight King and had to 
add another model in and it's one of a few models that I've done any conversion work on and for me conversions are I I I'm kind of more of a I like to put it on the table I like real dice I like to have that interactivity with people I like to have a laugh that's that sort of stuff and I'm not overly fussed about how I convert it or really going to that extreme or anything like that but with this Lord of Plagues I I, I did some subtle changes and I like chopped the axe head off and I put a scythe head on from the um, Putrid Blight King's um, box set um, or as a, a Puskal Blight Lord so box set I put this massive scythe head on I mean I just swapped the head out instead of having like a uh, a helmeted head it's sort of got like a, um, a, a barren open head that's very nurgly as well from from the future blight kings box set and it was something that i i wasn't confident on i'm still not like i'm not like i said i'm not massively fussed on conversions and stuff but it was a one model but i did that went off without a hitch and then on top of that it was one of the first models i ever painted for my Maggotkin army and I loved it so much that I've done about 6,000 points of Maggotkin <laughs> so yeah I think I think that was that was definitely my third choice my second choice is a fairly recent model um a couple of months ago and that's Kragnos um and this for me was very experimental for me and it was a bit worrying when I was painting it because for me, Kragnos is one of those models that can, because it can go in any army, there's really no limitations in how you paint it. And I know that sounds silly because for me, you know, I look at um, goblins and I look at orcs and stuff like that. And I'm like, I have to paint the skin green. You know, that that's just me. I, I just have to. And with Kragnos, I didn't feel like I had that limitation. And for me, one of the big things was trying to think of colours that worked well together. And mm. for the skin, I've gone for like a mid-tone brown. All the sort of armour and chains and all that stuff is like this this gold metallic. Because let's face it, if you're going to chain up Kragnos in a mountain, you're going to use some pretty, pretty tough chains to, to tie him up. Um, and then on top of that, I went for orange hair, which is not something that I normally paint. I, I don't normally paint orange at all. Um, and then throw them all together. And, you know, again, I bought it, you know, from I think it was from Games Workshop. So it's a hundred pound model to experiment with the color scheme. I, I kind of as I was doing it, I was like, if I finish this model and I'm not happy with the color scheme, I'm going to, I mean, I'm bald, so I haven't got any hair on my head. But if I did, I would tear that hair out, just being like, oh, no, I've, you know, I've spent all this money and I'm not happy with the resort. And, yeah, looking at him, I, I took him out of my closet, painted him, and I tell you what, he's been sat in my display cabinet ever since because I'm so chuffed with how I painted it. So here's my second choice. And narrowly, be, narrowly beating him in height is my Kraken Eater Mega Gargan. Ooh, yes. Oh, yeah. So for me, Mega Gargans were, I, I started painting them during lockdown 
when they were released and they were kind of one of those nice little models that I could paint up gradually over a couple of weeks you know it, it and there was there was no rush but you know I could take my time painting it I could really try out some different stuff you know I could try out different colors different washes on those colors all this sort of stuff and what I did was I broke down the Kraken into into sections so like the first painting session I would paint the sandals but I'd really go to town. I'd really try layering up. I wouldn't just layer once. I'd layer once or twice, you know, that, that sort of stuff. And I threw on extra sprues from um, like the Azerite Ruins kit onto the base and stuff like that to sort of add a bit more to to the base. And uh, every painting session, I would do different parts of a model. And, you know, when you look at the Mega Gargant, there's a lot of detail on those models, you know. and yeah looking back at them I you know just looking at them and thinking to myself this is an army that I'm going to be playing for the next 10 years like you know I'm, I'm not going to get rid of it I'm so happy I'm, I'm super happy with the fact that it's a low model count army because it's dead fun and enjoyable to play for me and the fact that I was able to paint it up during lockdown without any um, sort of deadlines to try and get it done and stuff like that really allowed me to to enjoy my painting again you know as silly as that sounds when you're painting for events when you're painting with a deadline there's that sense of am I going to get this done you know and with with my sons of Bearmat, with my Krakeny Omega Gargant specifically I didn't have that and it really reinvigorated my love of painting again so that that's why it's my first choice. I, I don't think that's a silly thing at all uh, Andy I think you know it really does sound like those mega gardens, you know, really got you back into painting Warhammer again. So, um, yeah, I, I think you've done a superb job on them as well. And I love facing them, even if they are flipping hard to take down. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you did a superb job. Also, we need to have more top three sorted in high to order as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder what the smallest model is. Yeah. <laughs> uh... I don't know, maybe a chameleon skink. I'm not I, sure. I suspect if we're talking previous ones, it'll be a epic 40k squat. True. <laughs> True. Yeah, be right. So, well, that's our top three choices, and um, we did, as we always do, open the question to the community. Um, you folks have not let us down, so let's take one final pause for this week's episode, and we're going to come back with the community top three choices. So here we go. The community top three choices. And we're going to start over on Facebook. Actually, just before we start, a lot of people posted pictures of their models as well. Much appreciated. It's always good to put images to your uh, to your choices. If we, ask, if we ask Dave really nicely, he might put some of said images in the actual Aye. post and uh, images of our top three models as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Sean Gleason has been on our Facebook post. Now, Sean, you've only put two on here, so I think you've missed one. Um, but he's put his Squat Cyclops, which actually came third place um, during the Golden Demon. And he's actually got a picture of it next to his 1996 Golden Demon Epic Titan third place trophy, which is very impressive. A very cool model as well. Matt would approve because he loved the old um, Squat okay. Crazy Tanks. Um, and also he's gone for his latest 
conversion of Orion, which Jay would very much approve of. Josh Upton, for his third choice, has gone for his Death Dread, painted around eight years ago, and at the, at the time was one of the biggest and most intricate models that he painted. His second choice was his Heart Eater, as it was uh, as it was the final model. It finished the original Warcry starter box, which he'd been painting on and off for two years. So was really happy to see it all finished. And again, he's, he's posted images of these. Looks really, really cool. And finally, his top choice uh, his, is his Crimson Fist Captain. Definitely the best part of the hobby to put together your own custom character and have them create their own narrative over time. This is something that I... Um, I really like and I don't do enough of, um, you know, remembering the names of my characters and kind of letting them develop over time. And yeah, that's that's a really cool Crimson Fist Captain Josh. Sam Davis has gone for his uh, um, converted Orc Warboss um, with a squig on leash. Um, Just a really fun model. Uh, Excellent paint job there, Sam. Brian Dennis, his third choice, he's gone for a badden, painted him a couple of years ago, really wanted to do a good job on him, and he still looks good today. Uh, he's also gone for his Necromunda Delac Gang in second place, tried a few new things for me on these, and I was happy with the results, but his top choice is his Blood Knights for his Soul Blight, really took my time on these, treating each one like a character, but really fun to paint overall nothing called demon winning but stuff i'm proud of and that is what is most important it doesn't matter if they are gold demon winning or not uh, i know mine aren't but i i've really enjoyed painting you know everything recently uh darren douglas uh hard to pick free but he's gone for his tau supremacy suit his death guard hellbrute and gary the flying snail which is uh, it's an amazing uh conversion I think that is a a beast of Nurgle or, or something very similar to a beast. Of, oh no, no, it's the it is the snail. It's Slimex's snail, but with massive Mortarian-like wings, with what appears to be like a plague bear on top. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, what do we have over on Twitter, Matt? So, long-time listener Jem says uh, number three converting the Luminous Shrine into a toxic 40k Adamek dump. Um, Jim's done some really cool ad next stuff, so you check out his uh, Twitter. Uh, two, turning his Chaos Space Marine into a twisted tech priest. And number one, getting the Ash Wasteland figures on Warhammer TV, fulfilling a lifelong fantasy. Um, Nevermore says, an Iron Warrior with plasma gun was my first try of object source lighting. And yeah, they've done a really, really good job on that. Uh, number two, Ugride Myrmidon, or Mini Kragnos, as I like to call him. <laughs> and then the Grunstock Thunderer Gunnery Sergeant for their Caradron Warcry Warband. Oh, that's on that's on topic for the uh, the episode as well. Lord Andrew Dennett says Archon and Incubi. I'm not the best painter, but it's the first HQ done in a first in a long time. That is really cool. Uh, number two, my Iron Praetorians Commander. Simple but effective head swap. That's nice. Uh, and then Scourge Kitbash with Heart Renders. That again was simple but effective. That's an amazing conversion. So it looks like the the body and wings of um, heart renders, but then give him a um, dark Eldar helmet and some weapons, and you get some really nice scourge. That's cool. Uh, Chris K says the Storm Speeder, biggest model today and a daunting build, but happy to get through it. Bjorn, the first model I repainted from my youth and was a, def- a definite improvement. And then Wolf Lord to Wolf. 
for a store event. And we had an hour to build the kit bash in store and four days to paint it. An hour? That's amazing. That's that's really cool. Um, Hymen of the Rose in Draster. This was my scariest project to date, and I think it came out awesome. The wings are really, really nice on that. Nice kind of like fade from dark to the light. Looks so good. Uh, the Sanctum of Amantech. I was told it was the most boring Luminous Realm Lord and the spell. I think I made it pop. I really like that spell. You've done. I like the uh, the shading on the metallics. Looks really good. And the Griffin. It was the first model I attempted freehand on, and it worked. I think that's a Battletech model. We don't often get Battletech on the show. That's cool. Um, Wild West Wargaming. Actually, it's hard to tell, and I have to cheat. I'm pretty proud of every fully painted model because it showcases that a little effort, even without talent, can get a great result on the table. I think that's a great sentiment to have. Um, You know, painted models, regardless of, you know, what they look like, is better than a a plastic model. Absolutely. Not painted, doesn't it? Deep Water, Wolf's Bill, Librarian, Master of Possession. Oh, that's a really nice Master of Possession as well looks like night lords maybe or maybe black legion uh and Moloch's mob won a golden troll and has been on the warhammer community twitch roundup that's really really cool too uh jp riley ovoid myrmidon was my first model back in the hobby after a three-year break the avatar of kane that was featured on the hobby roundup two weeks ago and my partner's battle sisters i was shocked when she wanted to give painting a go and now she has a fully painted army that's really cool Ace. Uh, Palsha says the Shadow Queen was the first big model. Again, awesome job. First objects, first object source lighting gun effect. Uh, really good job of that. Nice glow to it. And then a giant model from Zombie Side. Yeah, you know what? There's a lot of board game models that I need to paint up myself. Uh, and then finally, anonymous. And finally, anonymous Rex says the eightfold sigil endless spell. First time painting large flames, took a few goes, but I love what I ended up with. Yeah, that looks really, really nice. The heat in the right places, blackened towards the edge, that looks cool. Uh, Demon Prince added a subtle little nod for each guard. Oh, what a nosy at this. So there's little marks for each guard, apparently. That's cool. Um, And then Death Shroud Terminators, probably my cleanest paint job to date. And yeah, they look really nice. I really like the pink tufts on the bases as well. It kind of pops against the, the green of the armor so yeah some really cool stuff we need to um we need to get some of these up on the post i think dave yeah i absolutely will do i'll pick a few of them and, and get them featured along with your uh handles and such so other people can check them out at their leisure um thank you again to everybody for submitting your top threes apologies if we've missed yours and um, we always try and read out as many as we can on the show so what is next week's top three matt so obviously we've got the Middle Earth uh, reveals come in on Sunday. So nice easy one. What are your top three reveals from the Middle Earth preview? You can get them into us early via our social media or alternatively on the Sunday or Monday before we record the next podcast. We will put a message out um, so you can just simply click reply and, and post your top threes. Uh, and we'll read out as many as we can on next week's show. Um, but that sadly, or very almost, brings this week's show to an end. And um, we'll just give you all a quick reminder that we do have episode 200 on the horizon. And we are looking for some audio clips um, from you guys, the community, and um, basically telling us your top 
uh, your top sprue and your top brew. So um, just, you know, just a simple MP3 clip. Say who you are, what your favourite sprue and brew is. Pop, uh, save it as an MP3. Pop it in an email to sprues at gmail.com. And we will put as many as we can uh, into uh, episode 200 dotted throughout. Can't wait. To, uh, it's going to be a, a beast that one to edit, but I don't care. It's going to be it's going to be glorious. Really looking forward to it. Uh, I think that brings this episode to a close. Um, as always, gents, it's, it's great chatting to you and recording this uh, this podcast. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Dave. Yeah, it's great. Great to come back part time. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> also, Imperial Fists are rubbish. <laughs> Hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have a full team next week. But um, we'll see. We'll see. One thing's for certain that we will be back next week with some more hobby goodness. So until then, have a great week of hobby and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Spruce and Bruce podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbrews.com and if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruceandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruceandbrews. Have fun editing this, Dave.